Chapter 25 Year 874 PXF Summer This is, of course, where you would come, Veronique intoned as her eyes scanned around the room. She wore a heavy, dark green dressing gown with embroidered orchids at the lapels, something she usually would never be caught outside her chambers wearing, much less outside the house. She slid the small tome she carried into one of the outside pockets so she could pass her less-than-perfectly-manicured hand over one of the smithy's work tables. Thorne at first thought the expression she wore was of rueful disdain, but then realized it was one of envy and wistful disappointment. She continued, eyes finally meeting her son's. This and dear Miss Haddington's kitchen was always your true home. Not the sterile halls and rooms of the upper floors that your father and I inhabited. There was a bite to her words, but the warmth returned as she added, Here was the home you deserved. Talon. Veronique paused, looking deep into the eyes of the man before her and then seeing a truth behind them. That's not who you are anymore, is it? She sighed. <sighs> of course not. How could you be? You no longer have the vermilion blade, yet you are alive. And even after all you had already lost, your father has taken even more. Veronique closed her eyes, seemingly searching for a place she had long ago walled off from everyone, including herself. That is where we are alike, you and I. She walked around Thorn past the forge, and to the narrow door beside the flue that led to the tiny room beyond it. While still tightly controlled, Veronique spoke with a passion Thorne had never heard from her before. He took you from me the moment you left my body, and made sure I could never take you back. Veronique's hand went absently to her cheek, remembering past offenses she had endured. But by the gods, I tried to find the people who could provide you what I was incapable of giving myself. Then, laying her hand on Riken's door, she added, But even that he found a way to steal from you. Mother, what are you saying? Thorn asked, with a horrifying unspoken question shaking in his voice. Toman has many skills. Veronique crossed back to her son and took Thorn's ruined and scarred hands in her own, examining the damage. And as you already know, they are tied to the darkest forces of this world. Veronique could not meet her son's eyes. I wish I could have been capable of being more to you, my son. But sometimes the only act of love one can manage is to step aside so others may do what they cannot. Thorn was torn between striking Veronique and embracing her, but finally only said, You will not see me again. I know, Veronique confirmed. But that does not mean you are without family completely. I might not have been able to do anything about your father's schemes, but that does not mean he has taken all of those you love from you. She paused. Osman is alive. He was in the infirmary recovering from a grievous wound at the time of the Battle of Arnador Keep, and never actually took up arms against the Empire. 
At first, that fact did not matter to the emperor, as he wanted to make an example of all those closest to Duke Isul. Fortunately, something must have jogged his memory of the last conflict between the Uldani and the empire, and so as to not give offence to the Uldani Isles, he instead commuted Osman's sentence to twenty years of exile. Veronik then turned and left the smithy, retrieving the book from her dressing-gown pocket as she left. A book Thorne now recognized and knew quite well from his youth. Two Hundred Years of Blood A History of the Zalian-Uldani War Veronik drifted out into the night like a leaf on an autumn breeze. Thorn, who had been so ready to throw away all that was Talon's life and start anew, was now not so resolute in that course of action. His body feeling as unsteady as his mind, he sat down on the edge of the forge and opened himself to the memories and ghosts that haunted this space. Half a dozen fleeting images of young Talon and Riken materialized around him, reenacting snippets of memories of their time together. As one would fade, another would appear. There wasn't a square inch of this place that their presence had not touched. They really had been inseparable, and young Talon was so happy. No, he was so happy. Thorn's eyes became trapped looking at the door to Riken's room and Veronique's hand resting there. Had Toman sent the creature to attack them that day? Was it all part of his plan for Talon to become his weapon? To become this? Thorn looked down at the body he had inherited from Talon. Its strength, its mass, and its size. The years of training and fighting and honing his skills. With disgusting clarity, the image of the undead horror the Vermilion Blade showed him of what Talon would become filled Thorn's mind, it taking pieces of the dead to bolster its strength and size. And now all Thorn could imagine was Toman feeding Talon pieces of Riken to create the weapon he became. Thorn wretched at the truth of it. All the fiendish incursions over the years, keeping Talon's skills sharp and developing his ability to lead others. Was Toman's hand in that as well? Thorn wanted to reject the thought of it, but as the pieces came together in his mind, it made far too clear a picture for his father's hand not to have been behind it all. Thorn was ready to storm into the estate and demand more answers from Veronique, but knew in his heart getting more than she had already offered was unlikely without extreme methods, and he was not going to become shaped by his father in that way as well. It was then the last ghost appeared in the smithy. Riken, just as Thorn remembered him from the morning of their hunting trip. Mikal, I don't want to lose him. Riken's voice was shaky, but hearing it again sent a shiver down Thorn's spine. Riken, my boy, what the two of you have. Mikal's disembodied voice paused while gathering his thoughts. It is like nothing I have ever seen. It is what you hear about only in the great tales and songs of bards. So, whatever happens today, just be honest with yourself and each other, and let love do the rest. But what if he wants something I can't give? What if he doesn't find me? Mikal interrupted Riken's worried words. Riken, love always finds a path between two such as you. 
always. The memory of Riken looked right into Thorn's eyes and repeated Mikal's words with a reassured voice. Always. The ghosts around Thorn dissolved, and he was once again alone in the smithy, but no longer a man with nothing. Yes, Talon Corvermain was dead, but Thorn now understood that building a new life did not mean you couldn't bring the best parts of who you were to create the foundations of who you would become. As the ghosts around Thorn dissolved, a sleeping form a world away whispered into the night. Always. Year 874 PXF Early Autumn Thorn spent several more months living in the forest surrounding Arnador. He even claimed he was waiting and hoping for things to die down in the region so he could do something more to help. Of course, he knew not what that might be, but if he told himself that helping was the reason and not that he was waiting to confront the Lord of House Corvermain, it made him feel better as he watched another day turn to night with him still in the borders of Elerion. Unfortunately, what information did reach him, even as he skulked around the forests and orchards, was not welcome news. By design or ill fate, Talon Corvermain and not his father had become synonymous with all things that ailed Arnador and the surrounding region. Whether from his actions of breaking oath and fleeing the keep, Toman's schemes being attributed to the only Corvermain they knew, or his not wielding the legendary Vermilion Blade and leading the Arnador Watch against the invading Jade Guard, all that had befallen Elerion was the fault of Talon Corvermain. No matter the care he took, Eyes would often linger too long upon him, even from afar. After one too many close calls, Thorn, with eyes closed and breath held tightly in his chest, had taken the sickle to his hair to at least remove one of Talon's distinctive features, and the only one he had any control over. But even now, with his wild hair haphazardly cut nearly to the roots, his face and form were far too infamous and Thorn knew it was beyond reckless even to consider facing his father. All he had was Kasfarian's sickle, and the armor from the forge that he wore under his plain rough-spun tunic, and they would be no match for whatever guards or mob might rush to the aid of his father. Still, a deep need for further closure kept him from moving on and away from Arnador, so Thorn waited. Finally, his third month in the forest reached its midpoint and the first chills of autumn reminded him he would need to find shelter before winter. Thorn had a visitor. Whistling brightly as though they had no care in the world, Castian Varro, the half-elf who wintered in the sojourn's rest, strolled into his camp. Thorn had hidden deep within the brush upon hearing someone's approach, but was still close enough to keep eyes on his ramshackle refuge. Castian looked straight at him without a search and said, A package was delivered for you at Lolly's. Thorn stood up, knowing there was no sense pretending he was hidden from Castian's keen eyes. She also mentioned you are not you any longer. So who are you now? Thorn followed Cass's dizzying logic and introduced himself. Thorn, you can call me Thorn. Well, Thorn, for a man the size of a small mountain and a face as easy to spot as a newly painted tavern sign, 
you have done a humanly adequate job of making yourself scarce. Anyway, here's your box. Castian expertly threw a rectangular package from out of the pack over their shoulder at Thorn. Thorn caught the small, well-made, plain wooden box that Cass tossed to him. Opening it, he recognized what it was and what it meant. Within the box was the ball-peen smithing hammer that Riken had made to win his apprenticeship. Mikal had used it nearly every day and kept it in his belt at all times. It could only mean one thing for it to come to Thorn. Mikal had died. Emotion filled Thorn's heart, but strangely, it was not as crushing a blow as he expected it to be. Just like he learned regarding Riken, Mikal would always be a part of this new person he was creating and becoming. Mikal might have taken his journey with the last friend, but he would also be forever with Thorn as a foundation of who he was. Perhaps this was the closure Thorn needed, not the confrontation with the lord of his old house he desired. Cass broke the silence of Thorn's introspection. You'll be needing something more than hedges and trees for shelter come winter. You should head up to Limehold. Old King Stone Anvil owes me a favor and does not care about the winds of the Empire's political seasons. He will put you up for the winter, maybe longer if you make yourself useful. Find a deep enough place in the mines, and the human world need not see you ever again. Cass continued. Welp, I need to be getting home for the winter myself, and it's a long walk. See you around, kid. Castian stood, picked up the tune they were whistling at precisely the same note they left off on, and strolled out of Thorn's life for nearly a decade.